Bloody Mary, a podcast about sexuality, feminism, and horror movies. I'm Chicago comic Kristen Ryan, and today we have with us Kara Crutcher, founder of the Courage Campaign here in Chicago. Hi, Kara. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good, good. I'm glad you could make it despite the weather. It's raining today in Chicago, and it sucks. Uh, Kara, could you tell us a little bit about the Courage Campaign and what it is and what brought you to create this? Sure. So I started the campaign in July. Well, let me let me start over. So a few things happened in July 2014. Um, the first thing was that my college roommate sent me this picture on Instagram, and it was this picture of a transit advertisement, and it said, we, ple- we ask that you please respect our female passengers by refraining from masturbating and following and staring and generally doing things that aren't cool Mm -hmm. um and so when she tagged me in that on instagram and i was like okay this is dope we don't have anything like that because these things are happening to me on the train all the time so that happened and then i think within that week or something um i was walking out of the argyle red line stop over in uptown and i was catcalled by a woman uh, which was, like, the first time I had ever been, I don't know, street harassed by a woman. It was very, like, startling because she told me that she wanted to bust my pussy wide open on the sidewalk. And <laughs> I was like, I just walked out of the train. Then I decided to kind of organize around it and make a campaign in which, you know, we're raising the money to purchase ad space ourselves. And um, that was kind of, like, the basis of the campaign. But, I mean, like anything in life, it, it really changed. And so... Um, Because the CTA did put advertisements up on the train themselves after kind of, I I can't say that it was us that that formulated or caused them to do that. But I mean, I think we had a part in it. Um, But regardless of, you know, how they got there, they got there, which is awesome. And so now we're kind of still trying to push to get more um, explanatory. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. Explanatory. Um, And just advertisements that we think are better suited to address this issue on the CTA in addition to kind of functioning as an advocacy group here in Chicago for you know the street harassment and sexual violence that happens on and around public transit and really just kind of public spaces for that matter Mm -hmm. so yeah that's awesome and I think having that visibility in public space is so important Mm -hmm. you know it it means so much and started seeing that stops telling women to smile oh the thing over on wabash yeah yeah i have to say i've seen that all over the country now like Mm -hmm. being in different cities right on yeah i feel like it's just like our movement having visibility Mm -hmm. and uh you know being more accepted Mm -hmm. it's it's really great yeah i mean it makes a huge difference to um i mean you know i remember i was giving a presentation once to these high school students and like what are you gonna do throw the advertisement at somebody who's like following you home I was like, no, I mean, obviously it's not, you know, uh, the the 100% safe way of, you know, doing something about the issue or um, it's not going to keep you safe rather. But, you know, it is significant to bring these things to light and create conversation around them. And, you know, advertisements are something that we see all day, every day for mm-hmm. so many things. They impact our subconscious in a way I'm sure we don't even fully understand yet. And so to just have a topic like that um, in a public space, I think is really important because that can be the difference between, um, I don't know, a young woman speaking up and saying something about getting street harassed or 
ignoring it and just moving on with her day and feeling like crap because something happened to her and she doesn't feel comfortable telling anyone. For sure. And it's building that narrative in the public space so that everyone, I mean, like everyone should know it's not Mm -hmm. agreed. It is agreed upon that these things are bad anyway, but it's like something to point to, you know, Mm -hmm. make your point. Yeah. I was lucky enough to meet Kara. Oh man, that's almost a year ago now. We did Mm -hmm. a fundraiser for the Courage Campaign. Uh, and we had so many cool women come out and mm-hmm. like, it was, it felt like a talent show in a way, you know, like, uh, Juliana was there doing comedy. She's another great Chicago comic. It's a great night. <laughs> it was a funny night. It was, it was <laughs> but you guys rolled with us. So we really appreciated that. Yeah. We had a bit of a, uh, malfunction in the event planning of the evening at the restaurant, but even though you raised a good chunk of change anyway, right? Yeah, definitely. And, um, I mean, I think the bottom line is that people came out because they wanted to support a good cause, and despite the the hurdles we had to jump through the night, um, I mean, in a way, they were just a testament to the importance of, you know, it was it was a testament to why a group like the Courage Campaign exists and why you why there need to be groups who are advocating for, you know equal treatment of people in public and mm-hmm. in in general um so exactly and what yeah. Kara is speaking to is the night of the event the restaurant owner well, basically double booked the space tried to push us out and then turned off our mic <laughs> like, yeah. do you even know what this event is for Jesus basically <laughs> basically um double booked us with a birthday pi- party of cops on top of that <laughs> oh <my God>. so <laughs> It was it was it was an interesting mixture of people, but you know, interesting is a very polite way to say it. Yeah. So one other thing Kara had worked on is last February the men's rights activists were going to do a physical meetup in support of um, this guy who had released a book who was I don't know. You tell me a little bit about Kara. <laughs> so it's actually all very weird. This mm-hmm. guy who was living in his mother's basement. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Um. Started this group, uh, oh man, what's it called? Like the Kings of, I don't remember, but they they fall into the category of men's rights activists. Um, so they wanted to organize this rally, the Chicago branch of this group, uh, to support rape and Ugh. racism <laughs> and homophobia and pretty much everything that, you know, a reasonably progressive person stands against Mm -hmm. and so someone with an iq someone with an iq uh and you know basic human respect for other people so the you know it really disturbed a lot of people um and i can imagine it being very traumatizing for people who are survivors of rape and you know sexual assault and abuse uh to know that you know possibly even in their neighborhood that these people are meeting to celebrate your pain which i think is just so terrible and so i really wanted to do something that just you know created a space for people to feel safe and not at home thinking about this um, you know, and I know other groups did other things, you know, some people went to where this group was going to meet up to kind of like rally and protest head on. Um, to be very honest, that's just not, 
good for me Mm -hmm. um and so I you know publicized this other event but also wanted to create something where if you're the type of person who needs to be somewhere with other people and processing so we got together and we colored and it was great um we talked we played so much Beyonce and um we were in this art gallery just hanging out and chatting and you know doing like art therapy kinds of things through coloring and just really trying to be activists in a different kind of way which is you know all good all these different kinds of activism are are what we need so yeah yeah I thought it was a really beautiful day especially like being a labor and community organizer the past 10 years so often the response is anger Mm -hmm. and it's really beautiful to see that response be art and coming together and it was a beautiful beautiful afternoon and Mm -hmm. it was way better than like sitting on a corner screaming at some horrible human being (laughs) yeah i mean granted i i enjoy screaming at them (laughs) don't get that wrong i really enjoy it and honestly i commend people that can do it all the time because it takes so much out of you Mm -hmm. but especially you know doing this campaign for almost two years now i've really learned a lot about myself as a you know activist but also just as kara and i have learned that i really sometimes it's better for me to take a step back and channel my frustration in a different kind of way because i'm very emotional i'm very um empathetic and you know instances like instances of street harassment instances of yelling with someone those are things that i carry with me throughout my day that's how Mm -hmm. my personality is and that gets so heavy and i just can't do it all the time Mm -hmm. so you know coloring can be activism too mm-hmm. so. that's great oh and the last thing i wanted to thank you for is turning me on to the short film ladylike oh yeah I watched it. it was awesome yay if you guys haven't seen it check it out uh, it's a short film called ladylike about two very well-dressed assassins <laughs> they're so cool i think they're like getting a pedicure at one point in it i'm like god they're so fucking cool <laughs> like, very cool and that's from uh Issa ray's production company mm-hmm, right okay. mm-hmm. yeah a uh, high fashion assassin. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm super pumped to have Kara here today. Uh, and I was just curious, you know, what is the first horror movie that you remember seeing? Oh my God. I've been thinking about this a lot today because I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like I don't remember clearly. Um, I'm sure that. So the, the first one I remember going to see in the theater with, I think my dad took me or something was that remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh in like gosh. 2002 You're or something like that. I was like 12 or 13. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so and I know for a fact that I've seen lots before that because my mom is a huge like Halloween buff and she loves old movies and so she was always watching things like Arsenic and Old Lace and um the old, I think there's like a 1959 House on the Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure I saw those before, but I, I just, that one was so, the one with my dad was so very clear in my mind because I think that's the first one I requested to go see. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I don't think, I was not very into horror movies. Um, I, don't, I don't know that um, I'm like a connoisseur or anything like that, but I just remember really wanting to go see this and thinking about why and it, I don't know. Yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, and that's cool because, like, most people I have on, they're like, I hate horror movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's so funny because I think when I was 13 and I went to go see it, I kind of wanted to, like, prove I was brave mm-hmm. in a weird way um, because I don't really watch very many horror mo- movies either, but 
um i don't know i remember it kind of became a joke with like my cousin and i to like find a horror movie that's funny that's so bad that it's you know laughable oh yeah and it was so funny because you know i don't think that this remake of texas chainsaw massacre was very good but i remember laughing at it and still being so terrified at the same time that's um, a really great point you bring up because i was thinking about that too in a way like you want to be scared you're there to be scared but the fact that you can walk away from it unscathed or maybe even laugh at it mm-hmm. it's like powerful yeah it's like you've mastered this art form mm-hmm. exactly but i mean after the movie when we went home i was terrified <laughs> <laughs> my dad lives in like um my dad lives in bronzeville and one of those huge brownstones on king drive so the house is like 250 years old mm-hmm. it creaks there's like five different ways to get to one room i was positive that there was someone ready to like saw my face off oh. But, you know, then you leave and you start justifying, like, oh, well, this ha- th- that happened in Texas, so it's not happening here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not happening on the south side of Chicago, I'll tell you that. But yeah. it was just a funny, you know, it was a funny thought to have as a kid. Oh, yeah. I always thought I was going to be murdered at my dad's house because right. he lived in the middle of nowhere out mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, great. You know, no one can hear you scream for help. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I actually, like, I live here in Humboldt Park in Chicago, and I feel safer here just because i know there's always people (laughs) exactly exactly and it's so funny i live in jefferson park now which is you know technically still the city but it's the most residential place i've ever lived um i've only lived in you know just more central very urban environments and in jefferson park my roommate teases me because i tell her how nervous i get out there because it's a whole different type of environment like I don't know what's you know I don't know what the crime is I don't know what's happening in suburban houses they have like you know horror movies happen in suburbia (laughs) you know they're not happening uptown I'll tell you that so just I don't know when I'm when I'm walking home late at night and people are like sitting in their windows watch like watching me walk by outside and I'm like this is creepy as fuck (laughs) like I used to do uh like building maintenance It was like a compound of elderly people, but like it was out kind of like set out of the way as well. And they would watch me from their doors, like, Mm -hmm. and then you'd hear the door slam in the hallway. I'm like, oh god, right? It's scary. (laughs) It's scary. Suburban, rural, it's way creepier than Mm -hmm. the city. I couldn't wait to move to the city when I turned (laughs) eighteen. Like, I am not ending up in someone's basement. I feel that. And if I do, at least someone will hear me get there. They will hear me scream (laughs) on the way. (laughs) Yeah. So today for uh, us to talk about Kara Cho's uh, Hide and Seek, which is Robert De Niro plays a widowed father in this film from 2005. Dakota Fanning, his daughter, Emily, creates an imaginary friend named Charlie to help deal with uh, her mother's suicide. But then things with Charlie turn dark. That's kind of where our story goes from there. And I was just curious, what made you choose Hide and Seek? Well, I think that um, it's funny kind of thinking about what was the first horror movie I remember seeing. Um, I guess I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre in like 2002 or three, And so I, was, I think I was in that age of wanting to see thrilling or horror movies Mm -hmm. um and so I picked that one one because that was you know one that really stood out to me during that phase of life of wanting to go see those movies but also I've really um 
always had this fear and yet fascination with uh, mental disorders. And, you know, kind of growing up in the city as well, like when I got to the point to rationalize, okay, some of these things that are happening in these horror movies aren't going to happen to me in the middle of downtown Chicago or growing up in uptown or anything like that. Um, then my, my fear kind of turned to what is actually like feasible around me. And I think, you know, I'm just intrigued. I don't know very much about some mental disorders. And um, I think that because that is a significant part of the movie, um, you know, her imagination and things like that, uh, it really stood out to me as something that even at this age I is foreign to me. So it, I'm still curious about it and get a little scared of it. So it was cool to see that it was, I don't know, when did I see that? 11 years ago, I still have some of the same, like, scary feelings about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, especially, like, throughout this film, there were so many points where you didn't know if the monster was something, like, magical or mm-hmm. or something that you, you just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Like, if it was this little kid being creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Or, like, yeah. if there was a spirit or something in that way. Definitely. I feel like they, even aesthetically, they handled that very well with, the way things were shot, it mm-hmm. really kind of tricked you, which was yeah. cool. Yeah, you never got a, a good answer until the very end. Mm-hmm. Then you got your answer. Uh, but so Robert De Niro plays David, the father, uh, who discovers his wife's suicide. Um, and then later on, we discover he is Charlie. He is the imaginary friend, you know. Uh, what was your thoughts on this, like, this character and the break? And Well, I mean, my first, re- in blah, English, Kara. <laughs> um, my first reaction is, this is fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole dad-daughter relationship, you know, he's schizophrenic, and um, it's really imposed on his child, his daughter, heavily. Which was just kind of really startling. Um, but also, you know, I was just like, I, I, you know, I watched the movie with my boyfriend recently and I was like, this all happened because his wife cheated on him? Like, you, someone I just cheats on you too. and then you go schizophrenic? <laughs> like, are you, you develop multiple personalities? Like, we all must be out here crazy then. Cause, I have that in my notes as well. Yeah. Like, David. I guess not. Um, and I feel like they really could have, I mean, that's the one thing. I feel like they really could have filled in that gap because it kind of, you know, at the end when the story comes together and you find out that he's Charlie and he's the one who actually killed his wife, she didn't commit suicide. Um, but all you know of why he killed her is this flash of her like getting laid in a stairwell by some other man. And you don't really, I don't know, it just kind of quickly goes from we're happily married or maybe we're not happily married, but you know, we're dealing with each other enough to stay together in a house. And all of a sudden now I'm killing you in a bathtub and like imposing this super creepy other personality on my like 11 year old. It it just progressed really fast. Yeah. You know, maybe couples therapy would have been a better second step. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. And you think you would know that and say, I think, isn't he a therapist or something? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, um, and then, like, later on, he once the other thing, too, is, like, after this tragedy happens, he's like, 
oh, I'm going to go take my daughter and live in the woods and like yeah. seclude her, which is like, she probably needs to be around other kids. Yeah. Um, so he then meets Elizabeth Shue's character, and I was kind of disgusted that that was a romantic interest because like... I felt like he is so much older than her. Well, you remind me, that was the like, woman with the blonde, curly yeah. hair, right? Okay, yeah, that was really awkward. Yeah, because I remember her being like a heartthrob when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Like, Adventures in Babysitting. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, are they... Like, when they kissed, I was like, oh! Yeah, it was gross. And it was just very clear that, like, Robert De Niro was just way older than this woman. This woman yeah. looked like she's like, in her early 20s. Yeah. It was just strange. And she was bringing around her niece or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Just to, like... There just seem to be gaps in the movie sometime watching it at this point in my life. It's like, okay, you're trying to hang out with this old dude in the woods with his creepy ass daughter and his wife just committed suicide like are you making wise choices (laughs) (laughs) like this is i don't think this is the best thing for you right now exactly and i thought they're originally just meeting up because they both had kids the same age same like a play date and then it was like oh Mm. into this weird romantic like creepy thing and it's like this this girl this woman could be like your daughter's older sister mm-hmm. for that matter um it was it was weird yeah and i guess like that kind of now that you know after we've seen the movie and we see the full picture of david it kind of fits into his character also that he would try to date someone so much younger like maybe in an attempt to control them mm-hmm. you know yeah, as he was obviously able to do easily mm-hmm. with his daughter. So. Oh yeah, and speaking of the first wife, do you know? Have you seen the movie Carrie? Like a long time ago. So yeah. The wife was actually um, uh, Sue from Carrie, the woman who lives at the end. Oh. And, okay. Yeah. Isn't wow. That crazy? That's and interesting. Actually, the last episode we did was mm-hmm. Carrie. So oh, right on. Weird synchronicity. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Emily. She, yeah. Poor kid. Poor kid. <laughs> poor kid. Um, so I am weirdly obsessed with Wikipedia. And so after I rewatched the movie, I was reading the Wikipedia page on <laughs> it. Um, and they were talking about like the different endings for it. Mm. And because apparently there's like four different endings. Did you see that? Yeah, I was shocked by that. Yeah. So many different endings. Um, and it's just so, it was interesting because it's clearly like the ending is, you know, focused on Emily. She's a child. She's like the future or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, one of the endings was, oh, she's fine. Yeah, totally uh, yeah like nothing happened to her. She's just going to be a regular ass kid. It's like, okay, sure. No. <laughs> um, and then. The other one, I mean, obviously was how it ended and she's, you know, drawn multiple heads coming out of her stick figure body, mm-hmm. implying that she has a problem. And I forget what the other ones were, but... Um, I think they were both involved her... One was her in a mental institution, uh, but she was, like, on the road to recovery. Okay. And then the other was her in an institution saying, come on, let's play hide and seek and, like... Her, like, talking to herself in a mirror and looking real whacked out. You know, I often wondered in the movie if she knew that her dad killed her mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's ever clearly addressed. Yeah, I'm not sure if she knew that her dad killed her mom. 
um, probably because she's a child and she was so vulnerable, but um, I don't know. I just kind of feel like they're kind of how we were just saying, they're these holes that I wish were kind of fulfilled, like filled out even with Emily because, um, you know, whether the movie was good or not, the actual events that were happening to this kid are really heavy and if that was happening somebody in real life and you know maybe it could be um it would be a serious problem for this little girl yeah and i like that you brought up holes because when i was watching this there were two scenes that really stuck out to me like what the hell is going on and the first one was when she went to the cave Mm -hmm. and then it's just kind of like skipped a beat the first then, time she went to the cave yeah. or like at the end yeah yeah and it's like what is going on and mm-hmm. then the second time is when she's in that weird room in the basement mm-hmm. and all of a sudden bam she you know her dad's there then she's back upstairs and everything's fine but it kind of had those like questioning moments that left you with like wait what is going on mm-hmm. and um so it, it kind of felt disjointed and like i wasn't sure if that you know, like to me, it felt very much like uh, a metaphor for abuse mm-hmm. in some way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, I imagine, you know, no one wants to think that's happening to a child. And like, if you do see it, there's those questions in your mind that come up just like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Emily was just, I felt bad for her. And then also, there were so many times uh, during the movie where I, I felt like she acted much older than mm-hmm. she was. Like she definitely had like that pissed off teen aura Mm -hmm. about her like that dinner they had oh that dinner (laughs) yeah the dinner yeah uh, was like elizabeth came over with amy well first off even before dinner they had that scene where amy and elizabeth came over to play Mm -hmm. and emily uh (laughs) (laughs) took one of her dolls and just fucked it up yeah she just goes ape shit and it like it was like that kind of scene that i was like okay this movie is like kind of bad (laughs) (laughs) she like i don't know it just reminded me of a scene from rugrats like angelica and rugrats used to mess up her doll all the time her doll was a hot mess and i so i just can't take it seriously when i in in a horror movie when a little girl is like tearing apart a doll and it's supposed to be scary like what girl has played with a doll and hasn't destroyed it that's true I remember you know Barbie yes I was <laughs> doing all sorts of crazy things to my dolls with their outfits and I tried to like burn one of their hair once like it was just but that's what you do as a kid because you don't know what you're doing that's a really good point I forgot about that yeah and so you know they you see Emily and her back is all turned or whatever then the camera like cuts to it and it's just a doll in the face <laughs> and I was like this is so lame <laughs> But, um, I mean, you know, I guess it worked for for what the movie was supposed to be. And what I thought was interesting about what you just said was um, it being like all of this kind of being a metaphor for abuse. And, you know, kind of at least for me, when I think abuse, when it comes to children, I automatically think like um, a child being molested or Mm -hmm. sexual abuse. Um, But I think we or at least I forget that abuse comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. And so. Like, it's very clear that what's happening to this little girl in this movie is a form of abuse. And I don't know if that implies sexual abuse, but there is absolutely control happening 
between her father and his several characters Mm -hmm. um and her being an 11 year old i mean the reason she's probably acting like a pissed off teenager is because she's being catapulted into the feelings of of those feelings because she's had to mature so quickly you know she she's dealing with a lot yeah i do wonder if like that like little snippets of like maturity are like symbolic of her being sexually abused and being thrust more into the role of mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's probably really, um, you know, I don't know if I if I miss this, but the it's probably just very interesting um, dissecting the fact that you know her mother was killed because she was having an affair, and so her father has really kind of you know, taking, or her father's other personality has taken a very strong liking for her and Mm -hmm. how that, how this little girl and her mother are kind of similar. And I mean, she's very clearly like a reflection of her mom, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't know, it's creepy, but it makes sense at the same time. It does. And like some of the things that Charlie said to Emily was like, he, he told her, that he would have satisfied her mom. That's right. That's I forgot right. about that. He did. That's yeah. It's real weird to tell to a child. Yeah. Also throughout the film, I don't know if you noticed it too, but I felt like older men were very creepily um, complimentary of Emily. Yeah, that was the first thing I was talking about with my boyfriend when we finished watching it because I was like, crap, I'm going to do this feminist podcast. What am I going to talk <laughs> about? <laughs> throughout the film without fail every single man was com- like constantly commenting on how cute she was mm-hmm. and you know it's that's not unheard of like for oh your, your kid's cute your daughter's cute but like it was excessive and it, I feel like it was intentionally excessive considering the dynamic of the film and mm-hmm. you know the way that she's being viewed by outside people but also by her father slash Charlie so yeah. And, like, for so many of the, like, when I was a kid, you know, people would be like, ah, you're cute, you know. Mm-hmm. But I felt like these men were, like, staring at her like a wolf mm-hmm. looking at a lamb or something like, you know, yeah. just, like, very creepy. It and was weird. It was. And, and then that one scene where Mr. Haskins and the sheriff comes by to drop off the keys. To oh, the- yeah. It's, like, three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, like, that's kind of getting back to these holes because I think that they just tried to make all of these other parts of the so like the the main scary dynamic of the movie is supposed to be Charlie and his relationship with Emily but they tried to make all of these external things creepy to like throw you off Mm -hmm. but that really didn't need to be creepy like this man did not need to be dropping keys off at three in the morning and they made that scene very strange and the whole purpose of the movie is that you're supposed to be watching David and David's not ever Charlie but in that scene it's very it's very much David and it's very much this man creepily dropping keys off at three in the morning yeah. like there's no question about what's happening so I feel like those those scenes got a little weird and even with that family next door I mean I know they had stuff going on because their daughter had like leukemia or something mm-hmm. but they just made all everyone really strange they did yeah and those neighbors were weird like before we knew about the uh charlie david personality disorder 
I really thought it was the neighbor guy. Mm-hmm. I know? did too. Because uh, he, they, the two neighbors, like Kara said, they'd lost their daughter. But then there were so many instances where, like, that neighbor was real creepy to Emily. Mm-hmm. Like, ha- just sitting outside with her and not telling David, the father, that he was there. And, like, roaming around. And, mm-hmm. Uh, it was strange. And, I mean... I'm I'm not positive about this, but there was a scene where they showed a picture of their daughter that passed away, and I think the picture was like literally Dakota Fanning with no hair. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like okay, come on, like they just happened to move next door to Dakota Fanning's like long lost twin. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So yeah, then the final character is Dr. Catherine Carson, who I wasn't really sure. Like, I knew that she studied under David, but I wasn't sure, like, what her relationship to the family was. And Mm -hmm. at first I thought she was having an affair with David. Me too. Um, Yeah. I mean, so this man is, like, surrounded by young women Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of seemed fitting that they were having an affair. But perhaps in his looking for younger women to control with this other personality or maybe even not with this charlie personality just maybe he's a controlling person in general i mean he took his kid and moved her out to the woods Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um but perhaps there was some of that happening in this mentor protege dynamic as well because you hear about that stuff all the time yeah um and i don't think they really you know talked about that to any significance but she did just kind of seem like strangely present she's strangely pleasant for how downplayed her like significance seemed to be does that make sense she was around a lot she was and she had like emily really looked to her for guidance Mm -hmm. and i I just didn't quite sit right with me because like yeah i've had work friends too but i doubt they would adopt my kid you know what i mean yeah (laughs) exactly or just like show up to my house in bumfuck illinois (laughs) because someone called the you know like that's just not gonna happen you know i mean i guess it was a good thing that emily had this relationship with her because it's how the movie was able to like progress and she was able to live live (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. She just seemed like so random and, you know, it seemed like she tried to help, but then she kind of half-ass helped a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even at the beginning where she was talking, she just really didn't seem, I don't know if it was that David was controlling or that she didn't seem assertive to me, but it seemed like if, if Emily was my patient and I really believe that she needed to be in a certain environment or be monitored in a certain way you know sometimes you got to be like even assertive with the parents to be like Mm -hmm. okay your kid really needs help you know and the Mm -hmm. fact that you don't recognize that that is also a problem Mm -hmm. and she just seemed kind of very like oh you're gonna take her i don't think that's a good idea but okay i guess and i was like what so it kind of it, it that dynamic ties back to his toxic relationships with women though mm-hmm. like that's the dynamic he's created with her is like mm-hmm. i'm the master you're the protege you can't question me yeah uh, so just an awesome guy yeah <laughs> just all around a hoot <laughs> oh then the last thing that just kind of bugged me about Catherine is uh you know, she's a therapist, but in our ending, we saw, you know, Emily drawing herself with two heads. <laughs> Wouldn't you be like, hey, honey. Right? <laughs> like, they're just leaving out the door with, yeah. like, cereal on the table and all happily ever after. And it's like, 
Okay, Emily's been through a lot. Even before the drawing of the two heads, I just feel like maybe we should do something or intervene or you should be someplace, you know? there's got to be something there. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, you know, at the same time, it's a matter of maybe she didn't see that Emily had drawn the two heads yet Mm -hmm. because they were leaving out. Um, So maybe she didn't come home to a rude awakening. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, I was expecting, like, when she was like, what are you drawing? Emily to be like, you dying. <laughs> you know, like. Oh, that's right. She did that earlier with, um, well, who was that? With uh, the woman, the blonde haired woman. Yeah, Elizabeth. I, Elizabeth, uh-huh. yes. I keep forgetting her name. Um, which was so awkward. This is another like bad horror movie moment. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of wonder like what changed Emily's mind you know Mm -hmm. like because she was getting pretty dark and like going along with charlie and then something in her changed and made her want to like act against charlie Mm -hmm. and lock him in the basement yeah that scene actually really scared me when um she was trying to lock him in and he can't come out and like you see the door open and he's like behind like on the bench or something Mm -hmm. like that and now it's a matter of like is he going to kill her? Mm-hmm. Um, which seemed also really strange to me because it's very clear that he really relies on her. Um, so I, I don't know. It just seems strange to me that there was like this, the way that things unfolded so quickly, like all of a sudden Charlie's really taken over. Like mm-hmm. what happened to do all that? Because Charlie's been doing all of these bad things all along. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie killed his wife and charlie didn't go on a you know a weird rampage freak show after Mm -hmm. he killed his wife he was able to like pull it together and move to the woods but you know he kills elizabeth and he's trying to figure out or i guess david slash charlie kills elizabeth and then it kind of seems like it sparks all of these um very horrific you know scary moments and now it's like is he going to kill emily and it's like in my mind i feel like that should have never been on the table um because he relies on her so much like he you know not in a great way it's very toxic and abusive but i don't know i feel like emily kind of sustains charlie because if she didn't Charlie would just be in a room by himself and it would just be a movie about a man like like his thoughts, you know? Yeah. Um, Killing whoever happens yeah, to knock like, on the door. Exactly. <laughs> but it just I don't know. It it was really disturbing to me that he, you know, took this these actions to seem as if he was going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um because I think also that's like almost with most creatures in nature, it's inherent that you don't hurt your babies. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, or that you just don't hurt what sustains you, (laughs) you know, like maybe he wasn't even able to recognize that this is his child because he's, he's obviously not treating her like a child. Um, but she is a person, um, or, you know, a person, I guess, who is sustaining Charlie or else Charlie wouldn't, I mean, as far as we know, Charlie hasn't revealed himself to anyone else except for the people he's killed. Mm -hmm. Um, so if Charlie wants to stick around, it kind of would seem like Emily needs to stick around. Um, but you know, at the same time, I also don't know how these kinds of, I don't know if it's multiple personalities that he had, um, multiple personality disorder or 
what. So perhaps there's, you know, kind of a scientific basis to it that plays into why that shift happened. Does it make sense? It does. We should have had Karma Nyberger on the show, Chicago comic, who's also a a psych nurse. Oh, yeah? yeah, Oh, man, I didn't know that. Yeah, she could have told us a bunch. (laughs) Uh, I I do remember, like, when it was revealed that uh, David is Charlie, I kind of felt disappointed. Yeah. The first time I saw it, yes. Um... Because I was like, okay, they put us through a lot for this for this to be this situation. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, I watched it again like a couple of weeks ago. And um, I mean, I knew that was going to happen. And so it kind of, you know, when I'm watching it a second time, I'm just like trying to look for, I don't know, slip ups or yeah, anything. Like clues. That clues that yeah. maybe I missed the first time. But it did seem disappointing, especially considering how everyone else is really creepy and... Um, I don't know. I guess you just would think that someone who's a psychologist would have a hold on their on their mental health. Yeah, yeah. I guess I uh, I was so disappointed when it was David because it felt like oh well this is just a fucked up family. Like, mm-hmm. There's nothing. Like- there's nothing special about these people. They're just regular fucked up people. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Like they're um, all just crazy. Um, but also, like, to go back to speaking to mental illness, like, there's so many good horror movies from the past that do have, you know, like, the monster is mental illness. Mm-hmm. And now, like, we are reaching an age where we're, like, taking the stigma away from mental illness and giving people health and, like, not othering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of gotten to a point where I feel weird about the movies that I like from the past. Mm-hmm. Like, especially Psycho is one that jumps to mind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's, uh, and Carrie, which we watched last episode, like, these main characters are really tortured, sad people mm-hmm. that need mental health help. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. So it feels like we're kind of, as a society, turning away from that more mm-hmm. in certain circles. I don't know. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how um, horror movies are kind of moving forward with that as mm-hmm. well just because um you know the it, i mean the like you were saying the mental illness itself is the one that's like vilified or mm-hmm. um just made into this very terrifying thing and you know but i mean that's the case with so many different things like the evil women or oh, like you true. know that yeah. like the what is it like birth of a nation where all these like oh, white yeah. black face white people are like chasing everyone and, like they're the monsters you know and so you really start to see how people can like move away from those things but um i feel like mental illness is something that is really common and yet really not um we just don't learn that much about it mm-hmm. you know and it would be, I think that will really affect the way that the stigma is now and possibly how we see movies in the future. But, you know, if we're not educated about it as a people, you know, people can still capitalize on that fear, which mm-hmm. is exactly what was happening when I was watching this when I was 15. Oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't know anything about mental disorder when I was 15 mm-hmm. years old. I was like, I mean, I barely know anything now. And um, it was just, you know, it's interesting watching it now and having some more information about it and thinking like wow this family is just really tortured and really just needs help Mm -hmm. um 
and was, just does not have that. And it's really unfortunate for this little girl to start her life in this way. Yeah. And like when I first was watching it, and the dad is talking about how he has this uh, psychiatric plan for his daughter, and he's taking notes on her and working with her, and has this journal. You think he has this journal, right? I was like, wow, this is a, a way different perspective than my family's take on mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like the equivalent of walk it off or push it down, right? Or go to church, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go to church, pray it off. Yeah, for sure. And uh, but turns out this was not a good approach at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious, have you ever heard of trauma-based mind control? No, I've not. Okay, so I was reviewing or looking at reviews of this movie and the critics really beat it up. Like they gave it 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Like, they were pretty mean to it. But I find critics are usually mean to most horror movies. Uh, but then I found this really interesting review in saying that this movie is a metaphor for trauma-based mind control, specifically something called Project Monarch. Mm -hmm. Um, And they pointed out all the monarch butterflies represented in the film. Like, um, um, but let me explain what it is first. Um, (laughs) I fell down an internet hole today. (laughs) Uh, Project Monarch was this, um, like, mind control technique that was thought of with former Nazis and the CIA and it was basically the idea that you break people through trauma and abuse to like restructure their personalities and mm-hmm. turn them into basically like agents that will do your bidding because mm-hmm. they're no longer whole people. Anymore. Oh my god, that was totally a scene in the Hunger Games. Oh, was it? PETA. Oh. <laughs> That's totally what happened to PETA. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. Um, brought to you by the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to them. Um, yeah, I fell down a real weird internet hole today, and uh, I'm not sure like how much of it is true and how much of it is like weird conspiracy tinfoil hat kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the point they did bring out about the butterflies kind of threw me because what brings Emily to the cave the first time is this butterfly. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. then it's kind of like seen missing. And Mm -hmm. it's like, maybe she was abused there. And like the project also talks a lot about um, programming being done by the, um, they call them slaves and masters. Mm -hmm. So like in this situation, Emily would be the slave Mm -hmm. and David would be the master. And uh, just the, the plot that they lined up with the project itself was really creepy and they also um, pointed out, you know, like when he's in his office, he's crushing a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And then he's wiping his hands. He thinks it's ink, but it's actually butterflies. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this is real creepy. This is so, I'm going to spend so much time on Wikipedia with this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, got, um, and uh, like at first, because I did think this movie was a, a metaphor for abuse, but I didn't know it was like. Also, maybe a statement on a weird government project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally blown away. I'm, I get the feeling that most people who are seeing this movie you don't realize that it's a, a statement on the, the status of the way government treats people. Yeah. Or but, it could just be like some person like, ah, yeah. Project Monarch, I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, that's really interesting. And um, I'm just, I'm even curious about the significance of, like a butterfly itself like why Mm -hmm. this insect um is kind of like the figure representation of this theory you know what i'm saying because it makes a few appearances and then there was even uh a scene that was cut out 
of the film, Emily is wearing a butterfly sweatshirt too. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's like, hmm, what? Why is this making so many pop-ups? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that a? I mean, I, this could be completely unrelated, but wasn't there a movie like The Butterfly Effect or something? Oh yeah. Was that related to this at all? <laughs> did not see it oh man that could be interesting yeah maybe that's the uh of the serendipity that's the next yeah (laughs) talk about on the podcast there you go yeah so were there any like um besides what we already discussed any moments that really particularly moved you well the moment when he realizes that he's charlie um i remember that being very scary uh, the first time that I saw it, um, also feeling like it was a cop out, but I think that even though this movie kind of got really beaten up, that Robert De Niro did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it, you know, I mean, if he's technically playing two different characters, um, in that like one succinct moment, especially when he's like David realizing that he's Charlie, like his mm-hmm. body movement, like the intricacy of that has to be really on point and I thought that was really cool um because it's very much like I think like he is David and then he's like whoa Charlie like in in like a 10 second span he's Mm -hmm. kind of like looking at his hands or looking at his empty journals and um so that really stood out um and also the scene at the end when they're in the cave and you know they're all of these like toys and dolls in there um I don't know. It just, it really, it always really stood out to me, her being in this cave. And I, I don't know, I guess kind of seeing all those toys there too, it, it just made me wonder like, is this the place where she ever got to be a child? Um, but most of the toys down there were like mutilated. That's true. That's true. And, you know, it's funny because that was my initial thought. Like, is this where she got to be a child? Except not because these toys are mutilated and because this mm-hmm. cave is probably a spot of abuse for her and, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, when he's killed at the end, uh, it happens here in this cave, which is this spot of trauma for her mm-hmm. uh, and possibly, you know, for him, too. And I don't know. I kind of wish it was like a more badass ending, mm-hmm. to be honest. I don't know. There is I just something about her being in that cave and these things like kind of eerily like dripping and the cave water and oh, stuff. Yeah. Also, like cave could be metaphor for like uh you know like being a woman and yeah representation yeah (laughs) yeah it was it was a little creepy um but i don't know those two definitely stood out to me the most Mm -hmm. um also i mean i don't i feel like the scene when he goes over to his neighbor's house is pretty weird i mean everything is weird to talk to the wife yeah to talk to the wife and like because there's probably abuse happening in her house as well like Mm -hmm. you know she's very startled and scared that her husband's about to come home i think and see her there or see Mm -hmm. him there um so it kind of seemed like this was just everywhere yeah it did feel like this movie was about bad relationships with men Mm -hmm. yeah because that husband too he was given free will to go wherever he wanted talk to whoever he wanted mm-hmm. to including 11 year old girls in their backyard yeah for sure yeah i mean you know it's it's not blatant if the if their relationship is abusive and you know i kind of get the feeling that they're not really creepy they're just suffering um from the loss of their child 
And, you know, the trauma and possibly abuse that's come out of that, I don't think that, or at least I don't think I have enough information to think that these people were like, I don't know, though. Maybe they were creepy. Because all the side characters, I feel like Elizabeth, the Dr. Catherine, Mm -hmm. the neighbors, the sheriff, um, the house Oh, the freaking sheriff. Like, <laughs> you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're all creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess not Catherine. She's the hero at the end. I guess, but... <laughs> but maybe they were trying to create this sense of like uncertainty and paranoia. Mm-hmm. Just because it's so present in everyone. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been cool to see some more development of those other creepy characters. And, you know, even if they were possibly related to... Charlie's creepiness in some way, or even if they weren't, just something to, um, you know, I don't want all the answers handed to me, but mm-hmm. there was just this very eerie dynamic created that was kind of justified by Charlie being crazy. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. it's more than just Charlie being, you having multiple personalities. You know, these people are genuinely being crazy. Out when, when David's around. Yeah. You know? Because that scene where he goes and sees the neighbor wife, uh, he's offering his services. Like, I know mm-hmm. you lost a child. That's got to be awful. I could help you with the grief. And she's like, no! Mm-hmm. Get out! She's freaking you know, like, out. Tragically screaming, witch! Witch! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just a therapist. Basically. Basically. Mm-hmm. Well, was there anything else about hide and seek that jumped out at you or, or moved you? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, this was definitely like heyday for Dakota Fanning. So yeah, <laughs> I saw that she won an MTV uh, Viewers Choice. Oh yeah, I read that. This. Yeah. <laughs> this was definitely her heyday. But you know, it's um, you know, I think that's all on my end. Nice. Um, so Kara, how can people follow the Courage campaign or get involved or do any good things with the work that you do? Yeah, so uh, definitely find us on Facebook. I believe we're facebook.com backslash Courage CTA. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Courage CTA. Uh, and feel free to email us. Our email is ctacouragecampaign at gmail.com. We have some really cool things going on. Summer is always really huge for us. We're involved in a lot of festivals, um, protests, rallies throughout Chicago. And, you know, we kind of just have some projects going on within the campaign ourselves. And um, even beyond the campaign, we're so affiliated with so many other groups that are doing good work here in Chicago. So it's a, it's a fun time to get involved. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, that's been Kara Crutcher. I'm Kristen Ryan, and this was Bloody Mary. Have a good night.